reading is uh, from the book of Kings, 1 Kings, and it's beginning at chapter 19. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything that Elijah had done, but now he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a message to Elijah to say, may the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, If by this time tomorrow I do not make your life more than one of them. Elijah was afraid, and he ran for his life. When he came to Bathsheba in Judah, he left his servants there, while he himself went on a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a a broom brush. He sat down under it, and he prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life, I'm no better than my ancestors. But then he lay down under the bush and he fell asleep. All at once, an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. And he looked around and and there by his head was some bread baked over with hot coals and a water jar. And he ate, and he drank, and he lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat, for this journey is too much for you. So he got up, and he ate and drank. And strengthened by that food, he travelled for forty days and forty nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. And there he went into a cave and spent the night. So, good morning. Um, A short prayer. Father, please open our ears and our hearts to what you have to say to us today. May I be faithful in giving your word, and may we all learn what it is you have in store for us. Amen. So this reading, if you don't know what's gone before, it might be a little bit of a confusing reading, so I'm going to give you a very quick flashback. In chapter 18, Elijah has been very busy. He's been very busy standing up for God, standing up for God against prophets of pagan gods. And in fact, he's decided and put to people that there'll be a test to see which God is actually really God. So he suggests that 450 prophets of the god Baal and 450 of Asherah all come together on the same mountain and he'll come as well. So we've got two lots of 450 and we've got Elijah. They build two altars, they kill two bulls, they prepare the bulls and put one bull on each altar. And the test basically is whichever god sends fire and burns up the sacrifice is the living god. So very magnanimously, he tells the other guys they can go first, and they start singing and dancing around and shouting for Baal, and nothing happens. And Elijah helpfully suggests perhaps he's deaf. Shout a bit louder! Perhaps he's relieving himself. Give him a minute. But he doesn't turn up. And by the time we get to the evening sacrifice, he still hasn't turned up. So now it's Elijah's turn. But just to make things really fair... He asks for these great big pitchers of water to be filled up and chucked over the bull. 
Not once, not twice, but three times in a big ditch to be dug round and filled with water. So that actually if fire comes, we know it's fire from God. And then he asks God and God sends the fire. And then they chase all the other prophets and kill them. And this is basically where we come in, that the other prophets have been killed and Jezebel, who really is one of the bad girls in the Bible, is after him and he's sort of heading off out of the way. And there he is on his own in the wilderness after this momentous showing that God is the living God. He's terrified for his life. And God shows up by bringing an angel to feed him and refresh him, not once, but twice. So that's sort of where we are in our story. And I want to try and relate some of what's in that story to us and to our sermon series, which is based a little bit loosely but reasonably connectedly to a book by John Comer called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. And don't we all need that? So preparing for talking today, I was actually due to talk last week, and there is a reason why I mention that, which is because last week was going to be the first day my house had fewer than eight people in it, and the first day for three weeks or so that I'd cooked fewer than 20 or more meals every day for the people who were in my house because we got a big family wedding. And very kindly, Kirsty said, shall I prepare and talk for you? And I said, no, actually, I'm going to practice what I'm going to preach. I'm going to have a house full of people and a family wedding and all sorts of things going on. And I'm going to see, can we actually let God in when we're at our busiest? So that was the, the sort of test I set myself. I didn't have 450 other people doing something different. But I decided that I would see, can we let God into our busy lives? And if we do, are we pleased we have? Does it improve our life? Where do we get so the name of this talk is Slowing. Slowing. And one of the first things John Comer talks about is solitude and how Jesus very often spent parts of his life, particularly after very busy times, like when he fed 5,000 people and things like that, he would go off quietly to spend time in solitude with God. And he talks about solitude and isolation being two different things. Solitude is engagement. It's intentionally being alone, being quiet, spending time with God, where isolation is escape from something. Solitude is a safe space. Isolation is dangerous. Solitude is where you can open yourself to God and he says isolation is a bit like painting a target on your back for Satan to come and tempt you. We heard that Elijah was sustained for these 40 days. Jesus, if you remember, straight after his baptism went into the wilderness for 40 days. And after that, Satan comes to tempt him. And we could think that after 40 days in the wilderness, on his own without food, Jesus was at his weakest but no, he'd been 40 days in the wilderness communing with God and was actually at his strongest. God is an amazingly powerful force. And we really need to let him into our lives to make our lives make sense. We need to be willing to settle our life around Jesus 
rather than putting him there that we call him in every Sunday or every other Saturday or if there's an hour in the month. Following Jesus and living like he lived is the purpose of our life. And living like he lives means that we need to look at how he lived and live in that same way. So we have spiritual practices, which we've talked about in another series of sermons, prayer and fasting, as ways of bringing our lives more like the life that Jesus lived. Prayer and fasting are not the ends in themselves. They are a means to an end, and the end is living a life like Jesus lived. Reading great spiritual books that help us to understand how other people have come close to God is great, as long as we then bring those things into our life. We don't live a sort of second-hand spirituality. Well, such and such a body does that, and so and so does this. What we need to say is, that worked for them. Does it work for me? Can I try, try that? If I practice that, do I find that brings me nearer to God? We need to be very active in our faith. It isn't something that we leave on a bookshelf. It's something we practice all day, every day. And sometimes God will put chances before us that we perhaps wouldn't have picked. And one of the things I wanted to share, because it made an enormous difference to my life, but I would never, ever have put myself in that position by choice. Some of you will know that a few years ago I was diagnosed with breast cancer. And one of the treatments I had was six cycles of chemo. And each cycle, I was basically flattened for a few days. But the wonderful thing was, on those days, as I lay in bed and the family went off to work, I remember hearing my voice saying out loud, quarter past eight in the morning or so, do you know what, Jesus? It's just you and me, all day. And it was absolutely wonderful. Time to read, to spend time in prayer, to spend time in meditation. I would never have chosen that. I lived an incredibly busy life. But God gave me tremendous rest. And just like he did with Elijah, he gave me refreshment and encouragement through what could have been very, very dark times. When I was about 12, I think, we had an exercise in English. We had to go and spend an hour doing something. It didn't matter what, but we had to describe it in great detail. And I remember going and sitting beside what we'd have called at home a beck, a little stream that babbled through the village where I lived. And I sat for an hour and I wrote down the noises I heard, which could be birds, could be cows, could be sheep, could be people, could be steam trains. Sorry, I know that tells you how old I am, but you could hear them from there. And all those things, just sitting in one place. God's creation is amazing. There was so much going on. And the reason that I knew there was so much going on was because I'd slowed down and listened to it, and smelt it, and felt it, and seen it. And we often don't give our days that amount of time. And sometimes we see the power of God when we absolutely don't expect to. And the power of God is shown to those who have no interest in him whatsoever. A few years ago, I was in Tasmania for work. And because I like steam trains, that's the second time I've mentioned them, I'll try not to mention them again. I went on a steam train ride out into the wilderness. And this was just simply a secular visit 
you went on the steam train and at lunchtime it got to a station in the middle of a rainforest. You got off the train and you got an hour to walk through the rainforest. They'd got a boardwalk, you had to walk on the boardwalk. And then you would come back to the train, eat your lunch and go home. And we all sat on the train, chit, chit, chat, 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 babble, babble, babble. And we all got off on the station. And the very strange thing was, probably 160 people, huge noise on the station platform. People walked off into the forest. And there was silence. People were in awe of where they were, among trees that were thousands of years old, Silence, beauty, magnificence. Many of them probably had no idea this was the awesome God's work. But they all knew it was awesome. And they all quietened. And they were all impressed. If we stop, if we slow, we see God's awesome power all around us. So in terms of slowing... We need to choose to slow down and let God in. Those of you who cycle and run, don't you see, hear, and feel more when you're cycling and running than you do when you're sitting in a car or a tram or a bus? God himself shows up sometimes, like he did with Elijah, and gives us a chance to slow. Sometimes we can't help ourselves, we're overawed by God. We're overawed by the things he's made and the things he's done. And I would say to you, read this. It's so worth reading. I read it every year and it's never ever bored me or made me feel, gosh, why am I giving my time to reading the Bible? There's so much in there and every time you read it, God will show you something new. So I really believe, I really believe that every day needs Jesus. I really believe that every soul needs Jesus refreshing. And I really believe that every life is made better by slowing and letting Jesus in. So my challenge to all of us this morning is to commit, at least this coming week, to put aside time every day to sit in quietness with God. And I challenge you, to know that your life will be made so much better because of that.